everybody. Welcome to Elliot Ziliad, I think episode six. Nice. I don't know what I'm on. Anyways, today <laughs> I'm joined by the wonderful Connor. He's been so. here several times before. And the legendary Mr. Smith. What's up, Elliot? What's up, Connor? My English teacher from, I think, three years ago, who I kept in contact with because he's awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Excited to be here. All right, let's begin. So this is Mr. Smith's life advice to be amazing. Oh, Roughly. no, no pressure. <laughs> uh, do, do, is that how it works? It's not like a, a Q and A. I just, I just go, and then when I'm um, if you've got things that are on your mind, you just, we just, just we just get into it, and then once we right. start yeah. talking, we just go with it. It's not really like an interview. Got it. Uh, do you, why don't you give me? some like piece of life and then okay. I can because there's life in general I mean you know that's a that's pretty broad so try to try to give me like a framework and I can I can go from there all right um it doesn't have to be serious it can be silly for starters um like we could start with like the whole COVID life thing because that's been a little rough for me recently especially um, it's just kind of like easing into things like classes or kind of just anything really like what, what, what are we even doing? <laughs> Cause I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess, um, my priority would be to not get anyone else sick. Um, of course. I'm, uh, pretty confident that I'm a healthy person. I stay pretty active, but I would never want to be the reason that someone I know or someone I don't know or a family member or, uh, or a friend gets sick because they're not, you know, their physiology isn't set up like mine. So uh, I guess in terms of a piece of advice, it would just be, you know, when you're around people indoors, um, the, the guidance is to wear a mask or you wear a mask. Um, other than that, I, I think staying active, getting outside, living a, a healthy lifestyle helps in all across a lot of different levels of life, but certainly helps with this. A lot of people were, uh, you know, kind of cooped up in their house for a while. And, um, you know, if you can get outside, go to a park, get some sun, stretch your legs a little, that's all really good. What do you have to say to the people during COVID with mental health struggles? Oh, pretty much everybody. Um, well, I, I think if you're experiencing mental health struggles, you should certainly seek the guidance of a professional. If you have that level of health care available to you, uh, if you don't, there are certainly free services available. There are numbers you can call, but, um, that's the most important thing to help address those is is seeking the help of of a mental health professional um i think there's little things everyone can do like we're not talking about someone with mental illness but someone who's just kind of struggling and going through a difficult time because of some of the restrictions that we've had uh, mm -hmm. something my wife and i have done this year is every week um 
we write down something good that happened that week and we fold it up on this little piece of paper and then we put it in um, a jar and we don't know what the other person wrote. And then um, I guess on New Year's Eve or maybe New Year's Day of 2022, we'll look through all those positive things and we'll have, you know, um, a lot of really good memories. So for us, I think we're in a pretty good mental health spot um, we're really delaying the gratification of that. But if you are someone who's struggling to see the good parts of life, I would say listing one thing every day. And then at the end of the week, you go through the list because when we start to feel sad or we start to get angry and everybody deals with, you know, um, with the situation differently. Some people carry around a lot of anger. Other people carry it, kind of put it on them and carry around a lot of sadness. Having a list, like these are the good things that happened to me this week. And that's, I think, really helpful to remind yourself that there are, there are good things happening, even though they're not at the front of our mind all the time. So that's a really easy thing you can do. You, if you have a phone, you can just keep it as a note in your phone. Um, and then you could, you could, keep that list going and end up with hundreds of good things that happen to you throughout the, throughout the year. Um, and then when you're having a tough day, you go back through the list and you, you remember it. Um, and just try to keep your, your positive mental attitude kind of at the front of things. That's actually a really good idea. There you go. Podcast complete. I start doing that myself. You should, you definitely, you definitely should. I mean, I think even if you if, if, if somebody watching this isn't currently experiencing some negative feelings, having the bank of positive memories is helpful for when you do start to feel them. You know, you have a couple low days in a row and then you have this list of positive things you made that can really pick you up. So, yeah, that's a that's a really easy. There's no cost involved. Everyone can do that. And, and try to, you know, take care of their mental health. So that, I mean, it's not going to fix everything. It's certainly not a panacea, but it's uh, it's an easy thing to do. That's that's helpful. It's a wonderful idea. There you go. Topic one. There we go. Yeah. All right. Can I ask you about uh, topic number two, Mr. Smith? <laughs> sure. So, so you've heard before. There's like this um triad of of things when you're like an adult. It's um work social life and like uh physical fitness and some people say because you're you're so busy you can only pick two i i've only seen that in relation to college okay. where it's sleep partying and classes and it mm -hmm. says pick two okay. um, i've not seen that i've not seen that for adult life and you're saying it's work working balancing work like a, a social life or you know free time and physical fitness and some people have trouble balancing those things okay um hmm. i i would say i would suggest to someone who's having trouble balancing those things that they need to make a priority list mm -hmm. and figure out what it is they're prioritizing um because any anyone's actual life is way longer than three things like mm -hmm. that's that is kind of odd um the the, the banging on the head yeah, uh, you warned you warned me but it still caught me off guard um 
<laughs> um, so if, if I make a priority list, uh, I think first would be, you know, relationship with friends and family, then work, uh, because work affords me the, the money to do a lot of the things I like to do, then physical fitness. Um, and then I don't know, I don't know how nuanced the list is going to get. Like for me, physical fitness, part of that is my, is my dietary habits, but maybe for other people, it's not. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think making the priority list would be the first step. And then a lot of people don't recognize how much time they have. Mm-hmm. The days are long. Yeah. You know? um, certainly folks who have children have less time. Yeah. I, I don't know that world. So I, best of luck, folks. I don't know how many people watching Elliot's podcast. Elliot's Iliad. Is it Odyssey or Iliad? Iliad. Yeah. Our, uh, our, experience, our, ch- our parents but um, well, maybe they have like a, a younger sibling they have to watch on a frequent basis. But yeah, you can't do push-ups together. I don't know. I, it, it feels <laughs> it feels like some people really overcomplicate their life. Like mm-hmm. I would be curious if somebody's saying like I can't balance a social life, physical fitness, and work. Like how many hours a week are you working? Are you working forty hours a week? Are you working eighty hours a week? you're working eight, eight hours a week, of course, there's no work-life balance. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're in a financial situation where you apparently have to work 80 hours a week. So those other things are going to fall to the side. Um, when I was young, 2022, I was um, working third shift at Wawa. So that's uh, 11 to 6.30 for me. And then driving to Wissahickon High School and substitute teaching and then coaching at Arcadia University from four to six. So Mm -hmm. I was literally working from 11 p.m. to six o'clock the next day. Well, of course I didn't have time for a social life. Of course my physical fitness, you know, went right in the trash can. I did that for maybe two or three months. And then I had built up enough capital that I I didn't need to do that anymore. but if, if in, the, in that moment I was putting this expectation on myself that I was also supposed to have a social life, that would not be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there's people who work 30 hours a week and like, I don't have enough time. Well, they have plenty of time. You know, you, I, think, I think most phones at this point can tell you how much time you spend on each app. Mm-hmm. If you look at that and you're, um, you know, you're into the double digits a week on a single app. Well, that could have been time that you met a friend for coffee. That could have been time you were at the gym or, or out for a walk or a run. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe for some people who aren't working an exorbitant number of hours per week, it's literally tracking what they do with their time. You know, if you wake up and the first hour of your day is just scrolling through Instagram, you've skipped an opportunity to get a workout in. Mm-hmm. And you chose to do that. Like, you didn't have to do that the way like maybe you, you wake up and you have to go to work right away. Um, so I think a lot of people have time they don't realize. If you're, if you're watching 10 hours of TV a week, okay, you know? But if you're watching 30 hours of TV a week, you have time. You have time to socialize. You have time to get a workout in. Um, or, you know, for, for a lot of folks, it's video games. 
They're playing 20 hours of video games a week and saying they don't have time. Now, if video games are part of their social life, well, then they're balancing that. They do, they do have a social life. It's through video games. Now, if they're dissatisfied with that social life, well, then they need to reconsider their priorities. Do I really like hanging out with my friends and, and playing Call of Duty or Minecraft or whatever? Or would I rather cut that time in half and go see people in the real world? But having the priority list allows them to do that. Do I like how much joy or how much net happiness am I getting out of each activity? So step one, make the priority list. Step two, take two weeks, write down all the stuff you do. And then you'll be mindful of what you're doing in relation to your priority list. And then maybe the priority list starts to change. You're like, well, I really like World of Warcraft, but I don't like it so much that I want to do it 20 hours a week. I mean, 20 hours a week is a part-time job. Yeah. You know? So if you're if you're engaging in a in a behavior or activity that you don't really love and isn't giving you access to joy or happiness or well-being, you could probably taper that down some. Is that is that a fair is that a fair answer? Mm -hmm. I feel like I kind of relate it to when you said like the whole um, uh, social aspect about video games or in person because that's I've kind of been for a while now just kind of splitting it up finding that perfect golden ratio about because like I'll get on and like you know I'm a builder so I'll build with my internet friends and then the other half of the time just go out with other friends and yeah. it's, all, it's all about balancing it or if like plans come up then go with whichever one you want um but like work and then each aspect of the social <clears throat> like pyramid because family is another like part of that pyramid for me i try to balance that out as well and it gets a little tricky because it's just like you gotta you gotta like just find the ratio, like I said. Yeah. And uh, work around I think you, with everyone's schedules and stuff. Yeah, and you can find ways to combine those things. Like if you want to spend time with your family, but you also want to do something physical, you go for a walk in the park. Then you're spending time with your family and you're having a shared experience and you're talking and you're not just looking at a screen and you're doing something physical. Mm -hmm. You know, that, does that mean that, you know, everybody's going to show up to uh, to their gym and, and get a workout in with their mom? No, but you can you can find ways to find like a happy medium so that everybody feels like, hey, I'm really glad we had the chance to do this. Mm -hmm. But it, it takes a mindfulness that a lot of people lack and that a lot of apps and streaming services and video games are designed to keep you from thinking about mm -hmm. i mean you, they certainly don't want you thinking maybe i should turn this off and go do something physical like th their job is to keep you watching keep you mm -hmm. engaged not not make you think well that's probably enough of this show yeah i know too for the the physical fitness aspect of it this is going to sound obvious, but like learning how to exercise efficiently is like important because I know a lot of people who are new to it think they have to go work out for like 
you know, two hours a day. Cause I have friends who would work out for like when in their first few months they started, they would work out for like two hours a day, like five or six days a week. So that's 10 to 12 hours of, of exercise in a week. Yeah. Like you could do like, uh, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, like, uh, you know, five days a week. And that's like plenty. Well, I guess it all depends on what your goals are too. Yeah, that's true. But... Different, different strength sports require different mm-hmm. amounts of time. But if, you know, somebody who's actively involved in a strength sport, that's the top of their priority list. Yeah. You know, everything is based around their workout and their diet. Mm-hmm. So if it's two hours a day, they're very happy that it's two hours a day because they're deriving well-being, joy, happiness, whatever you want to call it, from those two hours. Mm-hmm. Another thing you could do, which is kind of what I do, is like mix the physical activity aspect like with the social aspect. Because whenever I like go somewhere, uh, I well, even if I'm not going somewhere, I'll just bike around or roller skate everywhere, which is it's it's a pretty good workout if you go long distances. Yeah, for sure. Chop wood. Chop wood. That too. Chopping wood is a tremendous workout. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is very physically taxing. Yeah. Elliot's family does that, like, well, your dad does it almost every day, does he not? That is not true. How often does he cut wood? Because he has a big pile in your yard just sitting there, like, 24-7. I chop the wood because I... I'm the one who uses it the most, but oh, okay. What do you do? What are you doing with all this wood? I have fires every now and then with uh, just a bunch of friends, but I need to, yeah. Gotta get back into that because I ran out of firewood. <laughs> Regardless, it is a good workout. Yeah, definitely. All right, is that topic two down? Mm-hmm. So. Do you have anything on your mind, Elliot? Um, I, I, I could think of a few things. Uh, <laughs> give me a minute. Okay. Mr. Smith. Yeah. Um, what are your, uh, like, because you obviously, I guess, took out a loan for, for school, right? College? No. No? Okay, no. well, how did you... Like afford your tuition then? Oh, that's nice. Um, they really wanted me to go there, and they they covered it. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so you don't have any experience with like paying back loans then, or anything. Uh, well, student loans, I mean. I, I do. Um, my first wife had a few student loans that we okay. paid off, and my wife um, has a student loan, and I've certainly helped friends navigate like the financial that financial side of their life and, and just mm-hmm. kind of understand how to, how to budget and, um, you know, pay things off. Okay. Um, Is there anything like you have on your mind about, uh, you know, that like, you know, budget, you said budgeting, like, cause a lot yeah. of people have problems with money. Yeah, they do. They're terrible at it. Um, I think this, this is how I do it. And I would say I came from a background where I did not have a lot of money. And so I am a very good saver. I am mm-hmm. not a good investor. Like I'm very risk averse. Okay. So when 
when people are like getting into crypto or mm -hmm. making investments because I came from a background that I didn't have a lot of money. I'm like very hesitant to, to, you know, put up 10 G's and see what happens. Like I'd rather just kind of hold on to it and know it's going to be there. You know, it's going to be there. So I don't have a lot of advice in terms of like growing wealth, mm -hmm. but I am very keeping it. Yeah. Accumulating it. Um, at a, at a slow pace and saving, I am I am mm -hmm. solidly built for. Um, so I think the first thing you want to do is know how much money you have coming in. And some mm -hmm. jobs that's easier to know than others. Obviously, if you're a salaried employee, you know how much money's coming in. If you're an hourly employee with a relatively set schedule, you know how much money come, is coming in. If you're a shift worker at a restaurant, you really don't know because it's going to depend on how many people show up on a Friday and who else is working and a lot of different factors. So uh, that, that can be harder, but step one, start with a base amount. So if you're, if you're a young person who's, who's working part-time, you might be making, you know, somewhere between 20 and $30,000 a year. Um, that, that seems like not unreasonable, especially now with, with places like target and, 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 uh, Walmart paying you 15 to 18 bucks, you could potentially make that much money. So like, that's your base amount. Um, the first thing I would take out of that amount is what I want to save B before I even pay bills. How much do I want to save? Um, some, and everybody's a little different. Some would say like at the age of 20, you should be saving, um, you know, 15%, 12%, 20%, but you figure out that amount. How much do I want to save? subtract that from your total. Now it's time to pay my bills. Okay. I have a hundred dollars for a phone, my phone. Uh, I have a hundred bucks for whatever. And then what do I have left to spend on socializing, going out and having fun? You look at those, like you look at that list and then you look at the priority list. We we talked about earlier and that maybe informs like, Oh, I need to work more or I need to work a second job or I'm working a good amount, but if I could talk my boss into giving me a raise, that would really set me up for, for being successful. And so like, even now at 40, I have a list of what I'm going to save per month, all my expenses, and then an amount of money that I'm allowed to spend every month on whatever I want. And I don't have to spend that amount. And if I don't, I just funnel that money into the next month or maybe savings or targeted, uh, targeted savings. Like there's savings, like I'm never going to touch this money. And then there's targeted savings where you're like, I'm saving for a car, I'm saving for a house, whatever. I mean, I, I use that now mm -hmm. because it gives me the clearest picture of my financial situation. And I'm never in a position where I have to think, can I afford that? Mm -hmm. I know before a new item comes into my field of vision if I can afford it or not, because I have that money set aside for whatever might come up. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's literally as simple as just going into Google docs and making a table and taking 45 minutes to an hour to figure it out and then having the self-discipline to actually stick to it.
Um, I think a lot of times you, you'll see this in memes from young millennials and Gen Z folks. And it'll say something like, like the boomer attitude is, well, if you didn't buy that $5 coffee every day, you could afford a house. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a, like there is some truth to that. Certainly mm -hmm. many people's financial ills are not because they're buying a $5 coffee every day. Mm -hmm. But if you are buying a $5 coffee every day, you, you're you know, spending 150 bucks a month on coffee. Okay, well, if you want to buy, you know, a nice hat, you don't drink coffee that month and then you, you own your hat. But if you try to buy the hat and the coffee, things aren't going to work out well at 22 years old. It's just not how it goes. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I need to, I feel like I, granted, I don't make like racks as a part-time at BJ's, but I definitely have some bad spending habits. Yeah. And it's so easy to spend money. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's easy. Well, no, I mean, we've had capitalism for quite a while, but the ease that you can spend money mm -hmm. and how spending money becomes very like quick, like new spending habits. And what I would say are negative spending habits become very quickly adopted in society. I've, I've never done uh, like a DoorDash. I would never do that ever. Like, it just seems like a giant waste of money to me. If driving to pick up, we eat Chinese food once a week. If driving to pick up the Chinese food is so taxing that I'm willing to pay someone, not someone, a giant billion dollar company, 10 to $15 to deliver it to me, I don't really, I personally don't want the Chinese food that much. It's a it's a 10 minute round trip and I get to see the place, you know, make sure that there's not just, you know, dirt everywhere. At this point, we know the woman behind the counter. We have cool social interactions with her. Her kids are in the restaurant. We talk to them. Like it's more than just, I'm going to consume this food as soon as it arrives. And I'm, I'm apparently saving 10 to $15. So, but at this point, DoorDash or uh, Uber Eats just instantly became the cultural norm. And I think more young people would opt into that than they would think about it for a second and say, like, what am I really, what am I really buying? Sometimes the fees for those services cost more than the actual item that they're buying, you know? I can't imagine a world like a, where I, where that makes sense to me. Like that's just a level of convenience that I'd rather not have because I, I see it as so fiscally, I'm going to say it's fiscally irresponsible. Yeah, I, I don't see a way that it's not fiscally irresponsible. Even if you have tons of money, even if you're like, you know, watching a $10 bill burn would be more entertaining to me than paying a giant billionaire company $10 to deliver, you know, a monster from Wawa. 
It just doesn't make any sense. But again, it's very, very socially acceptable. And that switch was fast because it's convenient. People like convenience. For sure. I have a lot of friends that do it just because they don't feel like going to get it. Yeah. I think people have really mistaken comfort for well-being. And those are very, very different things. Like comfort is... I don't want to move, you know, I'm comfortable. I'm happy where I am. Well-being to me is constant growth. And people mistake comfort, the comfort of the next TV show starting or the next round of a video game starting or the food being delivered, that lack of movement, they mistake that for well-being. And I just don't, I just don't see it that way. Yeah, I guess you're right. Mm-hmm. Huh. Have you ever seen uh, Wally? Yes. Oh, yep. I mean, you know, I watched that. I watched that a long time ago. Obviously, I don't even know how old it is. I didn't see it when it came out, but I saw it at some point. Maybe I don't know, 2007, something like that. And I was just like, ugh, like those those people are, and they're clearly portrayed to be. Like they think they're happy, but they're really just comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, they're slovenly and everything's taken care of and they have the screen and the food, it's just there. Well, yeah, a lot of people actually live that way. Mm-hmm. But they're not happy. They they don't I can you know, promise you, somebody living like that does not have a list of good things that happened in the last year. Because what are they gonna write? Like finished off the office a third time. You know? Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. That movie's uh, scarily accurate in some ways. Yeah. It's, it's just not for me. But I'm also saying that with the advantage of not having those things as a young person. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, if we think about a five-year-old today... They're just seeing all that as part of who they are. Like right. their their ability to be right, their ability to be skeptical about why they're doing it is limited because they're just seeing it, and they need someone to teach them to be skeptical of the status quo. Mm-hmm. But when you're comfortable, you're much less likely to express skepticism of the status quo because you're comfortable. Right. I see it with my little cousins all the time. Guess that's the world we live in now yeah well it means the world a lot of people choose to live in but you can choose to live without it um and it's not it's really not that hard like i i don't watch more than one episode of a television show at a time like i would never sit and binge a show i just mm-hmm. i just can't imagine it would be worth it because I want to digest the show. I want to think yeah. about the show. And if when I go to think about the show, there's not much to think about, well, then I know I don't need to watch another episode of it. That That's the qualifier is, well, there wasn't a whole lot there. Well, why would I watch it? Now, now some shows you give us you know, a second episode too, like maybe it gets better. 
But there are people who they're taking in that second episode before they thought about the first episode. And then they're on episode 10 and they're like, yeah, this is what I've been watching. I can't wait to find something new. Yeah. Well, you, you could have found something new after episode one. To that end, I did watch, not in preparation for this, but maybe to some extent, I did watch the first episode of Rick and Morty mm. on Sunday. Uh, the show that many people have recommended to me. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I figured. It's not much of a Mr. Smith show, at least I don't think. Cause... Yeah. I wanted it to be because a lot of my friends really like it, but there's not a whole lot of substance. It's no. just kind of like one of those shows that it's funny, fun to watch with your friends, but hmm, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever like hung out with friends and watched TV. Really, you never like bi- uh, binge something with them or watched a movie. No. I mean, go to the movies, but I've never had people over my house and then just turned on the TV. I don't think so. Because if you're at my house, we're going to do something to spend time together, not totally disconnect from each other and sit in silence as we watch a show. I mean, that's valid. I guess that's just... I mean, it's normalized now, because I mean, I'll have friends over and we'll watch a movie or show and we'll commentate through it the whole time um i could see value in that like giving opinions whatnot see if i'm watching something though i don't want people talking because i'm trying to take it in that's fair so i guess if it's something that everybody's watched and then like we're watching it together to like riff on it and like i can see value in that i can see how it could be fun right um but no i i my wife and i watch a movie occasionally but we're more like, we'll watch an episode of something that's like 20, 30 minutes. And then sometimes, depending on our schedules, we'll have another show that's like 45 minutes to an hour. We started uh, Freaks and Geeks, which is a very highly acclaimed show uh, that has a lot of really successful people in it before they were successful people. Hmm. Um, it's on Hulu. I haven't found it to be very good. I think we've watched three episodes, but I think it was overhyped. But it's um, Judd Apatow, who's pretty famous. I, I would imagine that the name you're familiar with. Um, he's the executive producer. And then James Franco, Seth Rogen, um, the guy from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, whose name I always forget. Uh, they're, they're all in the show. And, and they're young. And obviously they all, you know, grew up to have successful careers and it's uh, set in the eighties, but it's high school and you know, they're kind of finding their way in the world and it's fine. But I, I had high hopes and it's just kind of like every now and then I just look at my wife, like, what are we doing? <laughs> 20 more minutes of this. Yep. Interesting. I've never heard of it. I did watch you. You both recommended a, a cartoon show to me invincible yeah yes i did watch that i've recently how many, started that I'm not, how many episodes in are you mr smith oh i finished i haven't finished? finished yet because i'm watching it with my parents but um huh. yeah it was an interest it's an interesting one to choose to watch with your parents but yeah 
I, I don't know. I was like, hey, this is supposed to be really good. I want to watch it, so we did. Um, but yeah, what I have watched, I, don't, I think I'm on episode five, but it, it, it is pretty good. I mean, how many episodes are there? Nine? There's eight. Eight in the first yeah. season. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I started the, the last day we talked. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're 30 minutes, 40 minutes, maybe. What'd you think of the show? It was good. Good. Okay, that's good. It was fine. Um, I think, you know, there's always these, like, massive leaps you have to make to make any sense out of it. Uh, and some of the leaps are pretty big. But for the most part, I thought it was uh, it was well done. There were some surprises in there, things that were, like, outside the norm of what you expect from, like, a superhero show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Wait, like what? Without spoiling it for Elliot, like, what, what do you mean by out of the norm for a superhero show? Um, I think how the suit, and this isn't a spoiler because it's the first couple episodes, like mm-hmm. how the superheroes interact with society and how they interact with each other, that there's like rival factions of superheroes. Oh, yeah. Um, that kind of had like a, a flavor of like the boys. Um, and then how society looked at the superheroes i thought was it wasn't just like staring straight up at the statue of superman the way you know comics were for the first Mm -hmm. 60 years they existed or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah it was good so you think you'll watch the second season oh yeah i'll watch it okay yeah i gotta ask of course as tradition mr robot no, man. I, I don't know how to better tell you I'm not going to watch this. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to happen. You, you already told me that, like, there are whole seasons that aren't very good. I have? Yeah. Yeah, you said after the first season or whatever, the show starts to suck or something like that. I don't remember saying that. Yeah. No. You kind of made the decision for me. All right. Isn't it also on a platform that you don't have? Uh, that I don't know. No, I have that. I have that. Okay, what about Breaking Bad? Have you ever watched that? I watched the last episode as a joke. Oh. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad show or anything. It just, by the time I could have started watching it, there were already so so many episodes that I had no interest. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, every, every top five list of shows of all time, it's on there. So I, I would imagine it's really, really good television. But... Just no, uh, no interest because the time investment would be so, mm-hmm. so That's high. Fair. But I'm sure it's very good. There's a lot to it. I, just, I started watching it with my brother and friend like half a year ago at this point, and we're only on like season four out of yeah. five. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's fine. All right, that was, uh, I don't know, I don't know where that started. It started with uh, financial advice. Yeah. I'll, I'll close the loop on that and say, you definitely want to know what you're paying for your streaming services. Um, that's that's a place where a lot of young people bleed money because they're, they're signed up for Spotify, they're signed up for Hulu, they're signed up for Showtime, they're signed up for HBO. It's like, do you actually need to spend all that money on all those services? And maybe you do. Like maybe you look at a priority list and you're like, you know what? This is what I, this is what I prioritizing entertainment. Um, and maybe you look at the priority list and you're like, you know what? 
I don't need to spend 10 bucks a month on HBO or 15 bucks a month on Netflix. I'll be fine. That is, that is a big one because odds are it's like it's like the uh, infinity stones. If you have one, you're going to want the rest. <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah. I mean, uh, at least for a lot of my friends, it's like, oh, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Spotify, just everything. Oh, I, I meant in relation to the infinity stones, like other than Thanos, is there anyone that tried to actually get them all together? It seemed like many, many people were more than happy to just have the one. I guess you're right. Then they're like Thanos I, in that sense. I, I will say the What If show. Uh, the first episode was okay, but the second episode of What If, really strong. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised by how good that was. What is that on? Disney Plus. Hmm. Yeah, it was. Uh, what if T'Challa had become Star Lord? Oh, oh, and, oh, I have I have seen that. I haven't watched it, but I've I've seen things of it. It did. A, I thought it did a really nice job of like really expanding out all the permutations of a universe where that happens, which was fun. Yeah, interesting. And they're long too. They're a little. They're not like twenty minutes. It's animated, right? Yeah, animated. Yeah, they're saving a ton of money not having all those. They have some of the same voice actors, but they're saving a ton of money not having all the like to shoot all those scenes. Right. All right, what else? Let's do it. Connor, anything? I, I, I asked a, a, a couple of the last few questions, so I'll let you ask um, I some know, of your... I know earlier, I just... We, we said something about Bitcoin. Real quick, I just wanted to say that is getting massive. Oh, big, like, uh, crypto, yeah. Yeah, dude, I was... Like every now and then, I'll see literally like in a Bitcoin ATM, mm-hmm. and I don't even I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I know Elon Musk said you you're going to be able to buy the Tesla cars with with Bitcoin. Yeah, I think he might have walked that back. Oh, okay. I don't know. He, obviously, he has a uh, pretty firm track record of being all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and um. He may have walked that back. Well, I remember with Bitcoin, it, it the value approached, it was up to like $60,000. So he hail married a billion dollars into it. And then it went back down to like $12,000 from 60,000, which is like a huge percent loss. Yeah. And it's back up now to I think like 48 or 49, but it's still not up to 60 when he bought in at or when he announced yeah. he bought a billion dollars worth of it. So he still like lost money, but, but I mean, he has a billion dollars to play with where he, it can just sit there and in the next five years, it could potentially reach a hundred thousand dollars, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that's where as, as interesting as it is to have a deregulated currency. Mm-hmm. Now that, billionaires are involved and eccentric billionaires like him are involved where he can take something like Dogecoin and just like inflate its value Mm -hmm. and grow his own wealth kind of like it for fun or like as a game. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a, that's a little weird because I'm, I'm sure all of us have people in our lives who tried to, to get in on it 
put more money into it than they should have and ended up with next to nothing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this guy's just tweeting as a joke. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that the, the Dogecoin was created as a meme yeah. by somebody who, you know, does computer, like web development or something. And they said they don't even know why people bother with it because they just created it as a joke. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think Elon Musk just thought that the joke was funny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now people have actual meaningful amounts of money in their life tied up in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, 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 and, and I think NFTs are also something that. Oh, yep. Those are popping off, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, I think the, the crest of that wave was maybe in like May. And, and since then, it's kind of it's kind of come back down. Mm-hmm. But just the idea that you're like owning a digital version of something, right? You don't physically own. I don't know. I think that that's where my age kind of comes in. The new age people here. It's like I don't know. It's like they compare it to like just normal art. I get that when it's an actual piece of digital art. Mm-hmm. Like that makes sense to me. And I know yeah. that there's some setups where like every time it's sold a percentage of the sale goes back to the original artist right. i'm all about that that's, like i think that's, that's a good thing yeah that's genius and that's and what it, should happen that's when it comes but to like it's, the pixelated avatars that it's like yeah or i don't know if you uh, i don't get the sense you guys are like big professional sports fans but um nba top shot is an, an nft program where you have like a virtual wallet of nba highlights so like you could go on YouTube and watch those highlights right now for free. Mm-hmm. But if they're in your top shot wallet, digital virtual wallet, you, you might've spent $4,000 on one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, the, you know, and I think, I think the most expensive top shot highlight was $400,000 because there's like one copy mm-hmm. of it in on that platform, but it's a highlight that everyone's seen and can see for free. Yeah. I know uh, there was this, talk about like viral videos on when youtube first came out mm-hmm. they were they did that with one and they're considering doing it with another have you ever seen the one where this kid's like with his brother who's like yeah maybe a year old and he's biting his finger yeah charlie bit my finger yeah they sold that as an nft for like seventy five thousand dollars but multiple people have like just re-uploaded the video on their own youtube channel so i can just go and watch it right and they're talking about doing that with the uh i don't know if you've heard of it the chocolate rain music video Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I don't know what happens to shows like Talk Soup or Daniel Tosh's show where, like, they made a living showing the viral videos. Do they then have to pull those episodes? Good question. I don't know how that works, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, it's a complicated NFTs, crypto. Certainly a lot of people are making money. As always, when a lot of people are making money, there's usually even more people losing money and not telling you that it's happening. Um, and that's, you know, that's unfortunate. Well, did you follow when a bunch of online folks um, inflated the value of GameStop? Yeah, I, I had some friends that made out uh, quite well doing that. Because there were people on Reddit who talked about how they hail married their, you know, money they were going to use to pay their student loans or their savings like 
some guy said he put ten thousand dollars of his savings into GameStop, and that was right when um certain platforms started to restrict trading, yeah. and the SEC started to look into it, and he lost like all of what he put into it. And that's where it's his fault. Well, it's not though. I I don't. He took I don't... out his aggressiveness at the people who started the hype. Well, that that seems misplaced because. What was happening was not – you wouldn't expect more people to be in the building than me on a day where we don't have to be here. But apparently there's quite a few people here. Um, what what those people were doing was not illegal. Mm-hmm. And it, it would only serve to make money for more everyday people and potentially, you know – bankrupt massive hedge funds Mm -hmm. but those hedge funds control the regulatory system that never exercises any control against them and so they shut it down Mm -hmm. well i mean it's hard not to be skeptical of that whole process Mm -hmm. you know people publicly agreeing to buy into a stock is totally legal Mm -hmm. I don't know what is going on out there. It sounds like a bunch of kids are in the building, which seems really weird. Huh. Interesting. Are you sure it's not like an orientation? or? I don't know. I'm not sure about what it is at all. I'm going to close my door, though, because I feel like the noise is going to start to trickle in. All right. Hopefully that helps some. Sorry about that. No, you're all right. All good. All right. So uh, a new topic we were looking for, Elliot. Yes. Um, I wanted to touch on like the whole college scene because like with a lot like I recently everybody's going back who hasn't previously like all my friends and everything. And Mopco's doing in-person stuff now. Um, granted, it's still kind of all over the place, just a little confusing. But it's like, I don't know, prior to going in person, like all the online stuff, it hasn't seemed worth it. So I guess it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. Is Mako planning on fully reopening this fall? I don't, or No, I don't think fully. Okay. But, like, it's not just like, damn. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really a question in there, yeah. so I'm not sure what you're looking for. I guess not. Um, I don't know, I guess, like, what, what's your opinion on it? Because it, it seems like a lot of places don't really know what they're doing still. Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of like the first question, you know, we have to do what experts, I don't know if it's consensus, but but what most experts are suggesting in terms of keeping people healthy and safe. And if that's in person, great. Uh, if it's not, well, then we'll have to figure it out. At least we have some background in doing that. Right. Um, certainly, it seems like every college program at this point integrates some level of online into it. Mm-hmm. And so, right, especially with like 
I guess it's gonna be interesting to see with like all the uh, like the new Delta variant and that whole new wave coming in. Yeah, it's gonna be a little strange. But I would say I would say even independent of COVID, college is odd because usually when you pay for something, you expect that thing to take care of you. And college is the opposite. You're paying for the opportunity to try your best at something. And that's what I think a lot of young people don't necessarily realize. Like you are not paying for a degree. You're paying for an opportunity to advance your knowledge, earn a certificate, whatever, whether it's in college or a trade program or whatever. So I think sometimes, especially when young people are paying for it out of their own pocket, or they'll have to pay back the loan, they, they end up um, thinking, well, I paid, so I don't have to work that hard or they don't try their best. And you get a lot of excuses. Oh, my schedule's not great this year. I have to get up early or this professor didn't do this. And it's just like, you're paying for the opportunity for you to try your best. Well, you should probably do that then and not worry about the things you can't control. Like, you know, sometimes your schedule, you can't control it. Like if that's when they offer the class, that's when the class is. You make the best of it. If the professor's not great, you make the best of it. And I think people are really prone to like excuse making yeah, because they're paying so much. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that there aren't some professors that are like, you know, just straight trash. But I think those are, are much fewer and it's much easier to, to, for a young person to think, well, this content's hard. It must be the professor's fault. Mm -hmm. Well, no, the content's hard. It's why it's college. You're supposed to work really hard. And that's uncomfortable. And, you know, that kind of loops back into the, the comfort conversation. Right. That's, a, that's one of the issues I had, especially with all the online stuff, because it, it was really hit or miss. Um, but I guess that's... Finding motivation, especially when the class is like a miss, like it's all just, I don't know, because so used to, everyone's just used to in person and yeah. going immediately to all online, it's just like, what the heck? Yeah, it was certainly, uh... I think that was the downfall for a lot of people. Yeah, and then all the other added complications yep. that, that COVID brought with the mental health and the physical and all that stuff. Inability to see your friends and all that. For sure. Mr. Smith. Yeah. So let's say you go to college and you get a degree and you do a job like pertaining to that degree. Yeah. Is the actual work you'll do at your job harder than going through coursework at college or the other way around? Oh, wow. Uh, well, that's a hard question for me to answer because I'm a teacher. And so I only ask because I, for me specifically with engineering, I've heard yeah. on like forums, like practicing engineers have said that their coursework in college is significantly more difficult than their actual job once they get it. Yeah. So I, I wanted to know if you felt that way. Or... I mean, te teaching is just a totally separate entity, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
But I will, I will share, share an anecdote with you. I was, uh, I was up in Boston over the summer, and um, we've been doing a fair amount of bouldering. Um, and we went to this bouldering gym, and you know, it's kind of a social thing. So we're talking to this this woman who's, you know, bouldering the same climbs we are, and um, she had graduated from MIT with a degree in aerospace engineering in 2020 mm -hmm. so she was like more than a calendar year out of graduating from mm -hmm. mit and she was like what nobody told me is aerospace engineering is really like a catch-all degree and so when i got hired they had to train me for what i was actually going to do mm -hmm. and i was just like oh <laughs> That's not good, because if you're going to go to MIT, you would expect to know the skills you're going to need for the job you're going to do. And uh, that was not the case. So I would say that when it comes to engineering degrees, computer science degrees, what the coursework requires of you and what you'll end up doing, even in the field, could be significantly different. There could be a large amount of variance because those fields okay. are so vast. And she was not dissatisfied with okay. her degree, but she she wasn't using it, even though she was technically in that field. Okay. Hmm. So that's uh. Because I've heard of a lot of STEM majors who, because when you're going through college, like math and science concepts are done like out on paper mm -hmm. and then when you go to like a in the in the field it's like with a lot of assistance from software right so i've heard that makes a big difference in like your work day and compared to your coursework in school yeah i would i would imagine it does i think that and this is total speculation on my part because i'm not an engineer but i would think that in the coursework they want you to prove that you can do the math and science concepts on paper so that when you're in the field if the software fails you still have a clue mm -hmm. what you're doing mm -hmm. that, that would be my guess but you know that's just total speculation because i'm not i'm not in that world at all well that sounds right to me because when i was at monco before i transferred over my academic advisor because i have to take a class that they just called aesthetic sensibility mm -hmm. which was like uh painting pottery uh dance if it was in person or drawing and he said i suggest you do drawing because if you're ever you know actually engineering someday and you draw something on a computer and your computer fails or whatever and your client wants you know drawing specs of you know whatever you're engineering for then it's helpful to be able to draw it out at least somewhat on just to have something on paper yeah yeah that makes sense so, to me and yeah i mean I certainly wish I was a better drawler, just because I think it's a cool skill to have. Mm -hmm. But uh, it didn't didn't go it didn't happen that way. Yeah, well, this is more like um, mechanical drawing, like blueprints, than it is like something that's you know like you could hang in a museum. But yeah, but I can't draw anything. Blueprints oh. are not. It's not. It doesn't end well. That's why I had you guys draw so often. Do you have any other questions, pal? I feel like going off what you said briefly, that 
I guess it really depends. Like, the difficulty level really depends on what it is. Um, but I feel like a lot of the time, the, the build-up to the actual job is harder. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I would imagine it's different from field to field. Right. I, mean, I have some friends with chemistry degrees, and I think – like, I have a friend who has a master's in chemistry, which is really hard to get. Mm -hmm. um, and he works at a pharmaceutical company, and, like, his job is, like, he's the lead of a team that puts together proposals for investigating a new drug. Mm -hmm. So like they isolate like a protein or something like that from a plant and they they're like, if you give us, you know, X amount of dollars in the next six months, we'll exhaust all our resources and find out if, if this protein can do what we think it needs to do to make this happen when somebody swallows it. Mm -hmm. well, obviously, he was not doing that when he's getting a master's in chemistry. He was finding a new concept in chemistry and then doing the research and, and proving or disproving the concept. So to some extent that carries over, but it's not the actual coursework that he did. If that makes, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And then there's people who, who are just academics, like lifelong academics. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife just finished up a master's in history that was she was in a fellowship that could have become a PhD and she just felt like it wasn't it wasn't like impactful enough in the in the real world you know like she's mm -hmm. writing 70 pages about how perpetrators of genocide are portrayed in genocide publications mm -hmm. and like Doing that research is fulfilling to her, but what impact does that have on preventing genocide? Well, limited at best. It, it helps scholars understand how we perceive perpetrators, but that doesn't get her closer to genocide prevention five years from now. Mm -hmm. And so she's kind of like in flux because when you're in that academic world, like humanities academic world, that's all you're doing. You're just reading and writing. Mm -hmm. um, if she goes uh, more of a political science PhD, then she could potentially end up in like a think tank that could have long lasting impact on genocide prevention. So that would be, you know, something she's more interested in. But you don't get to find that out until you go and actually do the master's work. And then you're like, yeah, this isn't really for me. Or, yeah, I really love this. I could do this the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Is your, so I guess, your, is your wife a teacher or? Well, she was a fellow at Lehigh, which means like she's like a paid researcher. So they, okay. they paid her money to get, to research this topic. And at the end of it, there's a master's degree. Or if she kept with it, there would have been a PhD. Mm -hmm. And then once she had a PhD or even now, I mean, she could be a college professor um, in history programs. Um, her other master's is in Holocaust and genocide studies, which is more of a political science degree. It's like a history slash political science slash philosophy slash psychology. It's like a multifaceted mm -hmm. degree. Um, but once you're on the PhD track for history, 
you usually end up just being a history professor and doing research when you're not teaching coursework. Mm-hmm. In political science, if you have a PhD, that's when you can end up in like a think tank. Okay. That I know a lot of people who do political, like have a political science degree. Also, go to it's like you, it's a good way to set you on track for law school. Well, I'm talking about a, a political science PhD. Okay. Yeah, not 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 an undergraduate degree, a PhD. Okay. But yeah, political science is definitely, as an undergraduate degree, is definitely a pathway to law school for sure. Do you think your wife would ever run for elected office if she has a PhD in political science? No, because her her, her goal was to prevent genocide. Well, I mean, that could help though if you're like an elected official. You sure? Uh, can, can, I mean, consider, consider what we're talking about. Me being married to someone who's considering getting a PhD in political science, and you, who I'm pretty sure, has not considered this at all. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, like if you were in a, like an elected official, like you could mm-hmm. like through diplomacy, like prevent humanitarian things from happening. Can Can you name an elected official who's done that? I mean, not. I don't know. I mean, maybe like you know, on a federal level, the Secretary of State, but like not anyone specifically like right now. Right. So like if your question is, does my wife want to be the Secretary of State? The answer is still no. Well, I mean, any, you know, any kind of elected office, I guess, could work, you could work your way up, but. I think you have a very optimistic view of where the ceiling is on someone's ability to climb. Why do you say that? Well, um, how many elected officials do you think have PhDs in political science? I don't know, probably not many. I think zero. Okay. Because if, if you pursue a terminal degree like that, that becomes your life. You can't mm-hmm. also be the person who's like schmoozing and, and going to $5,000 dinners to meet the people you need to meet to end up in one of those positions. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like your view, like when I say optimistic, it's like you feel like they're actually picking the best people for the job based on merit and education. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. And I, I mean, you know, when you look at recent federal elections going and when i say recent i I mean i don't mean the last like two election cycles i mean go back in my lifetime 40 years of elections Mm -hmm. do you really feel like we're we're selecting the for like do you think the talent pool is based on merit and education i guess not to, to want to be in those positions, you have to have an amazing amount of hubris and self-interest. And people yeah. who want to prevent genocide very rarely have their own interests at heart because you have to be willing to wade through thousands of hours of reading about genocide, which is not good for anyone to do. Okay.
Does that does that track? Uh somewhat. I'm so like what were you saying about like um picking them based on like merit and education? Yeah. Cuz I mean, a lot of elected officials do have, you know, I mean, I'm saying all, but a lot of them do have, you know, advanced somewhat advanced degrees from like Ivy League schools and whatnot. Well, they're usually they're lawyers. Okay. They don't have PhDs. Okay. Law, law degrees are, when I think of elected officials with advanced degrees, it's usually a law degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think Trump had an advanced degree. Biden doesn't have an advanced degree. I don't think he does. Because he went into politics so young. I think he went to law school, though, because he studied political science at um, the University of Delaware and then got his law degree at Syracuse. So lawyer, Obama lawyer, uh-huh. Bush. Bush, not lawyer. I don't uh-huh. know what Bush is. Maybe he's got a, uh, a master's in something. Uh-huh. I'm looking at Biden's Wikipedia right now to see if it will say right on the top. Education. Yeah, he's got a JD from Syracuse, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then Obama was definitely a lawyer. Um, Bush, too. Let's take a look. And I, I'm not like saying like a law degree is not an impressive thing to have. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bush has an MBA, so a business degree mm-hmm. from Harvard. Um, I would imagine Bush won had something similar. Clinton was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Reagan? He was just an actor, was he not? Yeah, he was definitely a, an active actor, but he could have furthered his education. Mm-hmm. But you're not seeing, like, that's what I'm saying, like, you're not seeing somebody with a PhD because to get a PhD is so exhaustive. Mm-hmm. Like, you have, to, you have to give up so much of your life to get it. And then if the content is grim... That's just not indicative of having the self-interest you need to become an elected official. So you're saying like most or like all elected officials have like an inherent self-interest? Like, Yeah, I think that's implied. I guess. Although they do like when they refer to their career, they do call it like public service. So. Well, public in the sense that they're serving the public, not public. Like, well, yeah, because it's not they're not in private service to corporations. Although, if you well, yeah, but I mean, like, record, find, find one that you didn't feel like service corporations as much as they service the public. I mean, yeah, but if they do it, I mean, they do have self-interest, but like they also put a lot of their energy into like, you know, doing things for the betterment of the state of whatever country they're governing. Yeah, just just tell me a couple who've done that. I'd love to. I'd love to hear a few. This is again well, where I'm saying you're looking at it very optimistically. I mean, I guess, but like right now, they're trying to pass like an infrastructure package that they're saying will help create, um, you know, union like good paying union jobs for sure. unionized employees. Yeah, they're saying it. <laughs> again, that's the, I, I, I'm I'm not scolding you for being optimistic. I'm just pointing out your optimism. 
and you were yeah. just giving me examples of your optimism. I mean, I guess, but it did pass through the Senate. It just has to pass through the House of Representatives now and be signed by the president. But, but again, you're taking what what the highlights are. Mm-hmm. Unless you've read it, did you read it? Did the entire read, like yeah. The bill? Did you read the bill? No. Okay. So you're taking the highlights of it that they're publicizing. Okay. And saying, I believe this on face value. This will help people. And I'm saying, I'm skeptical due to a track record of forever of politicians not always, you know, having the common person's best interest in mind. Valid. Yeah, that's true. Like, when you look at, because it's Biden's bill, when you Mm. look at it, his track record, he Mm. certainly has done some things to help common people. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's also done things that I think we would all agree were were much more advantageous for massive corporations. Mm-hmm. And so why would I expect him to be different? And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying, you know, it is. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what it is, I don't expect this one to be different. Yeah, I guess you're right. I just, you expect them because they're the whole point I'm not saying this is what happens, but the whole point of their job is to, like, make positive change. And they're supposed to, like, kind of put self-interest aside and, like, better things <laughs> collectively, but they don't. Oh, Connor. He's so up. The optimism is awesome. Yeah. Well, this makes I mean, me feel like you should run for public office. Well, I mean, you know, like, they, they put a lot of hours into, like, you know, writing and like authoring and co-sponsoring different things that they say are going to help people and change things. I mean, I mean, do you think Biden actually wrote a single word of that bill? Well, he's the president, hmm. so he's not writing it. But like, okay, you know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say. Like, like you know, Congress people. Yeah, I think, I think, sometimes a politician will go in with a positive, altruistic mindset. Uh-huh. And then they come to realize that it's what they want to do mm-hmm. in terms of public good is much harder to do than they realized. Okay. And what it takes is money. Mm-hmm. And that companies will always have more money than people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that to get what they want done, they have to be willing to bend on some things that they know are not necessarily for for the good of people but are only for the good of companies that makes sense and that's you know when you look at someone and and i know that you know politically he's definitely exploded in in your lifetime when you look at someone like bernie he seems to have managed to avoid that for the most part Uh uh-huh and he still ended up a millionaire yeah I don't know. I just, I guess I just, and you're right. I guess I just don't want to assume that they all have these, I don't even know if it's underhanded, but like this, yeah. this agenda. Cause I mean, you, you think you'd, you'd hope at least that they're, they're committing themselves to working to do things that help you. But I think it's good to be optimistic. Uh-huh. I think you want to exercise and I'm, I'm, and I would advise you to not assume, but to yeah. be skeptical. Okay. And just ask, okay, 
you know, Biden's infrastructure bill is, is trillions of dollars. It, it certainly has highlights mm -hmm. that sound like they're going to be very helpful to common people. And I guess, like, I'll, I'll go back to what you said about your wife, like, preventing genocide. Yeah. Like, you said, like, she's, you know, um, what, writing research on or performing she research written, on? She has written okay. that. So I guess what I was assuming was, and I'm not saying your wife would have to run for president, but, like, you know how there are, like, a federal representatives are, like, by district? Yeah. If she ran as, like, a local representative, like, I don't know. I was just thinking that maybe that would be a good position to to, but, to speak on the uh, – to, like, a federal government officials. Yeah. But th on... this, is, this is where our experience levels in the topic, I think – and this is what I tried to say 20 minutes ago. Like, this is something I know a lot about, and it's a thought you're having for the first time in your life. Okay. So, like, imagine an elected official from Hatfield, PA, running mm -hmm. on – genocide prevention mm -hmm. no one cares in hatfield pa they care about school taxes mm -hmm. they care about you know the red light in front of on cowpath road because those are the issues that impact their lives mm -hmm. so if you want to make an impact in that world being an elected official doesn't do you much good because elected officials don't have time to educate themselves on those issues. If you work for a think tank that might be mm -hmm. federally funded mm -hmm. and you become the person who high level affected, uh, elected officials turn to and they're like, look, this situation in X country is looking really grim. What should we do? Mm -hmm. And your think tank is the one that influences that. Well, then you can have a positive impact. But the elected officials never the one that has all that knowledge because then they'd have to have so much knowledge about so many different issues. How could they possibly juggle all that? Yeah. That's making sense now. Okay. Like you could be an elected official at the mm -hmm. federal level who really has a soft spot for preventing genocide. Okay. But it would be very rare that you would actually run on that because there's not there are some folks who feel like genocide is happening here, but there's not what scholars would call an active genocide happening here. Mm -hmm. And so why would that be the crux of your campaign? You run, you get elected, and then you have this opportunity to prevent a genocide and you have a soft spot for it in the same way that some elected officials have a soft spot for unions or some elected officials have a soft spot for guns or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you can, you can influence policy. But even then, you're taking the advice from people who are studying it on okay. the ground. Okay. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Now, now, yeah, now it does. I yeah, love that you're as optimistic as you are. No. I mean, I don't want to. It, 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 it's not. That's not a bad thing. No, I'm. Not, I'm saying I genuinely love that you're that. I mean, is is that like a naive thing to feel like optimistic about their job? Well, I think your. I think your view of what the job is is accurate. I think you're being presumptive that the people running for office share your view of what the job is. Okay. 
and that that's where the optimism is coming from. Mm -hmm. And that if you if you looked at every elected official with some amount of skepticism, mm -hmm. you you might be less optimistic, but have a clearer idea of how they interpret the job. Mm -hmm. You know, in the, look, look, if I ran for elected office, I think you guys would be like, Mr. Smith, he's a good guy. He was my teacher. He cares about people. But you should still exercise skepticism as to what my motivation is. Mm -hmm. And it, that skepticism can't end because you know me, because we have positive interactions. Mm -hmm. And when I do something that you're kind of like, well, that was weird, but I'll trust him. I would say you should say that was weird, but we need to figure out why he did that. Mm -hmm. Now we've got kids out on this side of the building, which I don't know, looks like little kids. They must be picking up Chromebooks or something. Huh. Huh. But yeah, just, just ask why. Skepticism mm -hmm. is always healthy in any way. Yeah. Not cynicism, sense. though. I'm not advocating for cynicism. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying go in and expect every elected official to be trash. I'm not saying yeah. that. Right. I'm saying... Just a lot of them. Well, I mean, I think it lends itself to that. Uh -huh. And I don't even know if trash is the right word for a lot of them. I think it's just our very optimistic concept of what the job is supposed to be and what the job ends up being are different things. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Connor, bring in the heat with the questions. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to feel like I don't want you to feel like I'm arguing with you either. I'm just trying no. to like. This is gonna be. This is good. Yeah. This is good content. Yeah, I agree. We're not arguing. If you want, we can yeah. argue if you want. I, I'd oh, rather no, not. no, no, no. It's just like, no. I don't I'm, know. I'm glad you're asking. I'm glad you're pushing back. Yes. Like you said, I was just um, optimistic about it. And I guess when you brought up your wife wanting to prevent genocide, the first thing I thought was be in a position of power or authority. Yeah. And I, I said, well, what better way to do that than be an elected official? And then right. you kind of. And that's where I asked, you know, can you name an elected official that's actively yeah. tried to prevent genocide? And you can't. Yeah. That's, not what, that's not what they do. There's plenty of spots in the world right now where if they wanted to prevent genocide, we'd be there, and we're not. Mm -hmm. That's pretty unfortunate, though, because they all have, like, a positive, obviously have a positive platform they run on. Like, oh, I'm going to make healthcare affordable or, you know, this and that or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they, they never end up really doing it. Well, I mean, it depends on how you look at it and what your values are. Like if you're looking for socialized health care, you could say that we've become closer in your lifetime than we've ever been. If you're looking for choice in health care and not socialized health care, because there are people who don't want there to be socialized health care, they probably feel like they've taken a loss. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, changes happen. They just happen slowly or yeah. really fast. I mean, certainly when I was, was in 11th grade, like you were, when we met, I could never have imagined my, my gay friends being able to get married to me. Mm -hmm. Like that, that, that seemed impossible to them and it mm -hmm. seemed impossible to me. 
Mm -hmm. Like it, just, it was just like, you know, unfortunately, the country just doesn't recognize you that way. Mm -hmm. And now that's totally possible. Mm -hmm. And that just seemed to happen like in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, Because I know you also mentioned like when they when someone like tries to put themselves in a position of authority through an election and they run, like you said, you have to question what their motivation is. Yeah. And like right off the bat. I guess because you're like, you know, you're older and you said you have more skepticism than I guess I do or we do. Like if, if I was looking at it and I'd think what their motivation is and they'd say like, oh, I'm going to, here's my platform. This is what I'm going to do. I think, yeah. well, okay, well, I guess that's their motivation. <laughs> wow. You know, they want to, they want to, you know, do these things they're promising to do. And, and that's their motivation to be an elected official. Well, I think when someone expresses what their goals are, okay. I think you have to ask, okay, especially if you, whether or not you share the goal. So, you know, pick a political issue. Let's try not to pick something too. Uh, we can go guns. I feel like that's a fair, not, yeah. not instantly get me fired type of discussion. So there are people who want access to all the guns, mm -hmm. right? There are people who want no one to have access to guns. Like th that, those are the polls, mm -hmm. right? There are people who want to be able to buy, you know, a Black Hawk helicopter. The two extremes. Yeah, those are the two extremes. Those are like the a pol a polemic issue mm -hmm. has polls. So like those are the north and south. So when an elected official is running, and they say, "I'm for gun control." Mm -hmm. I think you ask yourself two questions. One, okay. why? And two, how? Mm -hmm. And when somebody says, I'm for the Second Amendment, you ask why and how? But you mm -hmm. always ask those questions. You don't just say, oh, well, this person's really into letting people buy guns or not letting people, like, mm -hmm. them stating their side of the issue is is not how they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's not the why they're going to do it. Like, why are you going to enforce stricter gun control? And mm -hmm. then you'll get surface level answers because too many people in our country die from gun violence. Okay, mm -hmm. well, obviously that's true. I think like, it's like every nine seconds, somebody in America gets shot with a gun. Mm -hmm. How many of the people doing the shooting are actively breaking the law, just having that gun, and what good would more laws do if somebody's already a criminal? Mm -hmm. Like, those are the questions you have to ask. On the other side, if somebody says, um, you know, I, I think that there should be, you know, no level of enforcement against the Second Amendment. Like, people should be able to buy what they want to buy and produce what they want to produce. Mm -hmm. You say, why? And then what will that what will society look like if mm -hmm. you know, Pennsylvania is an open carry state that so you can walk mm -hmm. around with a loaded gun on your hip in Pennsylvania? Mm -hmm. uh, most people in our area do not do that. Mm -hmm. Private institutions like the mall or a bank will not allow that to happen because they own the land on which that person is trying to do it. Mm -hmm. But when somebody says they want that, you have to ask, well, well, to what end do you want that? Why do you want that? And if they say, 
because I think society is safer when uh, law-abiding citizens are armed, then I think, I think you need to, to drill down into that. In the same way you drill down into the person that says there's too many deaths from gun violence. But you need to drill down into both, and then that's when you can start, start to decide how you feel about the issue. Mm-hmm. Does that does that track? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when somebody's just like, you know, gun control or Second Amendment, mm-hmm. you, I, I would be hesitant to just accept that on the face value and be like, oh, this is somebody that's going to, you know, make it so there's less deaths by gun violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a lot of people do that though. Well, yeah, I think I think a lot of politicians want people to just accept it on face value so they don't have to answer hard questions. Mm-hmm. This is true. Like when you go to a politician's website, mm-hmm. sometimes you can find the actual plan of how mm-hmm. they will do what they're saying they're going to do. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. And then once you have the plan, you again exercise skepticism. How possible is this? Like, is this even reasonable? Like, mm-hmm. here's their plan. What it's going to take is for 10 senators from states who feel the exact opposite of this to agree with them to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if, if it's not even possible, it could be a great plan. But what can you do? If you support that candidate, maybe you go to that state and you try to talk to those people and, and convince them of your point of view. But you can see how long that would take. Mm-hmm. And I think people elect a president or even a local, you know, a governor and think changes are just going to start swinging around instantly. Mm-hmm. Very rarely is that the case. That's a good uh, example. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm just sorry. I'm just thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Things All right. I guess because like. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Were you, what were you gonna say, Elliot? I was gonna say we could wind it down if we like. We've been going for okay. a while. Um, but did you have something to say? Uh, I mean, no. It's like, if you want to end it, like it's been like what an hour and a half. You can do that, but. You can finish up your thoughts. I guess just like what you said earlier about um, the optimism again. Yeah. Because you said you expect like, a, you know, you elect somebody and changes just start happening. I don't expect I don't that, but the general populace seems people, to expect yeah. that. Like, because you see, you see too, like they publicize themselves, like, um, you know, maybe in like the general assembly, like, you know, in person arguing back and forth with each other. And you see that publicized and you think like, oh, wow, they're, you know, arguing back and forth with each other. And this is going to go on all day. You know, they must be working really hard to, to, to get something done. And then you don't see that they take a 15 minute recess every hour and, you know, whatnot like that. So, yeah, I guess it, they have a, a, a good way at making themselves look really good. Yeah, that's I think. That's, uh... That's the job. The job, yeah. And I and I guess part of my optimism is that that I was kind of 
I guess I could say I was duped by their their facade of niceness. Yeah. I mean, that's because that, that's the lack. They do of promise all kinds of good stuff. What were you gonna say? I think that's just the lack of the, the lack of skepticism, where you're like, you know, they they're saying they're working really hard, and I'm sure they must be because look how you know, look how passionate they seem. And again, yeah. I'm not I'm not suggesting cynicism. But I think that um, asking how and why when somebody, a politician says, that, or, or anybody, really, your boss, you know, your boss is like, oh, we're going to start this new initiative and everybody's going to have a chance to make more money. I, I, you want to ask how and why? Are, are, am I going to make more money because you're going to pay me a quarter more an hour? Or am I going to make more money because you're going to make me work 45 hours a week? I'm making more money both ways, but one I'm not really looking for, mm-hmm. you know? Asking how and why are, are just really important questions, and okay. sometimes I think you end up dissatisfied with the answers if you go in thinking that everyone has as as um, as a clear positive motivation as you seem to have. Okay. You know, like if you got a text from your boss, you're working at the bagel place, right? Yeah. And it was like, hey, I'm going to have an opportunity for you to make an extra hundred bucks next week. Okay. Would you instantly be like, sounds good. I can't wait. Or would you say, Mm -hmm. how exactly am I going to do that? Mm -hmm. And I think some people are just more naturally skeptical. But from birth, I would have been like, well, how am I going to do that? Mm-hmm. Because if the answer is, well, you know how you thought you had off Thursday, you're actually working 10 hours. <laughs> I don't want that. And if the answer is, you know, we're upping your pay $5 an hour, well, then yeah, absolutely, that sounds great to me. And then, you know, that, that would be the how. And then the why is like, well, why don't I have my day off anymore? Well, mm-hmm. so-and-so has, you know, to go to a funeral for the grandmother. And then you might mm-hmm. say, you know what? Well, then I want to I want to help that person out, mm-hmm. and so I, I'll give up my day off. But if mm-hmm. the answer is, you know, I decided to uh, to just slum it, and I need you to cover for me, well, that's no no. I, I don't want the extra hundred bucks if that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Is that is that kind of track on like a real life level? Yes. Yeah. The how and why. Yeah. Always keep it in mind. Do you think your uh, skepticism comes more with age? No. Or no. No. I'm probably okay. less skeptical now. I mean, I don't know. I was definitely. I mean, I grew up on like punk rock. Like, it's innately skeptical. And like, I think I'm more open-minded now, and more likely to give people a chance than I was when I was like 15. You know. Mm-hmm. Like at that point, I don't think you could have convinced me that there was a good politician when I was 15. Okay. I would have just, I think I was probably more cynical then. Mm-hmm. Like they're all in it for the money type of deal. And that's now, not how I'm coming off, is it? What's that? That's not how I'm coming off. To You're you, coming off the opposite, man. 
Okay. You're coming well, off there. Like, None of them are in it for the money. They don't have self-interest at heart. They're just trying to make the country a better place. And for some reason, it hasn't happened over the last 250 years. If only that mm -hmm. were true. <clears throat> no, your cynicism is the opposite of a positive outlook. Okay. I think at 15, I was cynical. And probably by like 25, my cynicism kind of matured into a healthy skepticism. But I definitely lean more to skepticism than I do accept anything on face value. Okay. Like, I would never accept anything on face value. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone should. But I'm also never going to write an idea off if I haven't explored it. Okay. Like, I think all ideas, all claims need to be evaluated, even if they seem ridiculous. Okay. You need to evaluate it. When I need to evaluate it the most is when it's something I agree with. Like something mm -hmm. I disagree with, of course I'm going to evaluate it. But mm -hmm. when I agree with something, that's when I need to be the most skeptical. Am I agreeing with this okay. because it aligns with my values and I'm mm -hmm. not willing to explore it beyond that? Because I'm like, hey, I agree with that. That's called confirmation bias, right? Yeah. And I want yeah, to yeah. avoid that at all costs. Mm -hmm. I want to know that if it's a political official or an idea a friend has or an idea for an investment or whatever, I want to know that I, I want it for the right reasons and not just because they're saying things I agree with. Because it's really easy to say things people agree with. Mm -hmm. make, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. All right. Does that wrap it up? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Mr. Smith. It's been quite fun. Glad, glad to hear it. It was fun. It was fun for me as well. Yeah. Um, Got some good topics in there. Yeah. Yeah, I think we did. Mm -hmm. Overall a success. All right. So for listeners, this will be also on YouTube because all of our cameras are on and everything. Um, but yeah, oh. that's, there'll be... Spotify version, YouTube version, like audio and video, um, just whatever. Mr. Smith, you know, do you not want to be on YouTube? We should probably wrap up the episode and then talk about how people can consume okay. it. Okay. Well, fair enough. Anyways. <laughs> or maybe mention that before we do it. <laughs> yes. Um, thanks for listening. If you made it this far, it's been fun. Hopefully we'll have Mr. Smith on again. All right.